Hi again. Welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded. It's episode 122 this time. Adrian from the team here. And Renault's back with me. Our CEO, Renault. Hi. Hey. Hi. And um, hi to the listeners. <laughs> and today we, uh, we have a nice topic about something you never want to have to do. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. So, but, but nonetheless, uh, very useful if you do encounter certain issues with your products. So, uh, yeah. Look, so, so what are we covering right now? Product failure and how to analyze it. So, right. Um, yeah. It's something that is not very often done in a formal way, at least outside of big companies, but it's a gold mine for information mm. and it's a way of avoiding sometimes big mistakes and uh, yeah, making the right decisions when the stakes are high sometimes. Mm. Yeah, you said formal way. I suppose in a lot of factories, correct me if I'm wrong, when issues occur, it's kind of like a firefighting situation where everyone's like, oh, we've got to sort this out quickly. Let's just let's just do it. And there isn't exactly a, a, a very good structure or something used for mm-hmm. that. Is that is that right? Well, you could say firefighting. Some people say it's cut a shot. Um, mm. it's, people like to jump directly at a, uh, a solution. They say, oh, there's this problem. Um, there's die casting, there's porosity. Okay, I know how to fix it. Just raise the pressure a bit, you know. Uh, and then they just you know they tamper with the process uh, and they say well fixed and often they don't even look at the results to make sure it's actually fixed right and they don't observe to see if uh, there's some other issues so they don't they don't try to understand you know the the, the physics and the chemistry of what's going on uh, they don't try to do experiments to learn they don't you know, very often what we see is that they jump to some kind of conclusion. Oh, that's that's what it is. You know, yeah, the 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 the, <laughs> the, the engineers say that, or the production managers say that, or whatever, and or the boss say that, and everybody's mm. like, hmm, you know, hi, hi, sir, yeah, no problem. Okay, <sighs> oh, tell us what to do. All right. Oh, thank you so much. You know, the solution come from from the top. Uh, from your your infinite wisdom, thank you so much. We're just going to apply mm. it, and that is very very dangerous. This is not mm. good, not the right way to approach a problem. Right, yeah, because the analysis portion of what you mentioned that's just missing. Yeah, completely, completely. Right. They, they use sort of a hunch, you know. Ah, you know, from experience, yeah, okay, make kind of makes sense that this would be causing that in a simplistic yeah. way. So just change that and, you know, it would magically go away. At least right yeah. now or for the rest of the day, I'm, you know, I don't need to think about that. I can go back to sipping tea with my friends or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're not going to bother me and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to hear more about it. You know, it's, sometimes that's that's the, the, the reason. But mm. it's also when a customer complains about something, oh, yeah, you know, we found out, about, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Is a supplier of the screws, you know, yeah, they're not stainless steel. Yeah, yeah, the supplier made a mistake and, 
you know, oh, we are um, we're getting tough on the supplier. Don't worry. In the future, it will be good, and we'll pay more attention. And blah blah blah. Okay. Mm. Uh, uh, thank you very much. But what tells me that in the future this will not happen again? You know, and mm. and that's something uh, really very often that's completely missing. Yeah, because unless somebody remembers that exact case where they made a fix. There's nothing preserved for posterity, so they can't go back and look at some notes and say, ah, this issue occurred, you know, a few months ago, and this is what was done to solve the issue, which was successful, so we'll repeat that. Hopefully problems don't keep occurring, but you know what I mean, just in case. But if somebody's just done something and then moved on, then there's no record. Yeah, that's one thing, but also what they are changing might be totally besides the point. Mm. It's um, You might not have any impact whatsoever so they're not doing anything to go in the right direction actually it might cause some other issues and it might make the whole thing worse so it's the same what we are talking about is exactly the same issue as uh, you know corrective actions and preventive actions and and that kind of aspect of things but here yeah, yeah. Uh, a failure analysis does contain some of that you want to close the loop uh, which is what you mentioned, you know, you have to um, confirm that the countermeasures are really um, uh, had a positive effect, and over time it keeps being positive, and so okay, and like it really addressed the root cause, and so on and so forth. But mm. at the beginning, you know, a failure analysis is kind of different, and usually in the context, it is different. So you still have that closing the loop aspect, but usually the kind of questions to ask are, are a bit different and we'll cover that a little bit later in the episode. Okay, great. So let's say we've encountered problems with the product and everyone's scratching their head. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this? We could do a failure analysis, but what kind of problems would you say would normally warrant this sort of approach? So there's two um, two timings that are you know, typically prone to this kind of analysis. One is when developing a new product and two is after mass production. Mm. I mean, typically way after mass production or it could be during mass production, by the way, but um, let's say usually it's later than shipment. Uh, And failure analysis, basically, yeah, that starts when there's a failure, right? So, if it's during development of a new product, you know, you get, you have prototypes and you build them, you put them together, you, 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 you run them, you, uh, you do some testing on them and then they might not behave or function as, 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 um, as planned, or they mm. might fail in a certain way that was not planned. And when it's a when it's a simple product, uh, if it's a set of playing cards or something like that, okay, it was not printed the right way, or the the cardboard was not cut in the right uh, dimensions or whatever, and the right mm. finishing, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong; it might get complicated with printing, but typically these kind of things there is a relatively obvious cause, and and it's it's not too hard to say. Well, this. Because of this, it allowed this to happen, which re- triggered this and this problem, right? Mm. And 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 then 
if you have a little bit of um, experience and some quick thinking, you can jump straight to, okay, we need to do that in order to prevent it or minimize it. All right. So in that case, probably no need, except if you mm -hmm. work for um, a big company that wants to be very, very structured, or if you work in a consulting firm that needs to you know, justify what, what it's doing. Now, if, if it's a relatively complex product, or if some of the failures are really highly uh, dangerous, then yeah, it's a good thing to do it in a structured way, you know, to, to have an engineer really like sit down, go through a um, proper methodology, uh, you know, answer the right questions, push them together, more data, and really make sure that it's a very tight analysis and it's documented and saved for later. By the way, if it's medical devices, if it's uh, certain types of, you know, high, highly regulated products, then very often this would be a must, mm. at least for, for sort of critical failures, right? If it's medical devices, uh, no doubt. You, you have to analyze what happened and you need to have a documented way and, and to show that you really addressed uh, that that issue later, you know, based on um, a very logical kind of problem-solving approach. Okay. Mm. And then hopefully the next prototype, you subject them to the same kind of testing to validate everything's fine and so on. Okay. that That's during development. Most of the times when I have seen failure analysis, it was way later than production. It's a batch of products get made, get shipped out, and you know, three months later, six months later, or even late, later than that, there's some issues. Maybe some users complain, "Hey, you know, the tablet doesn't even turn on. Um, mm. it, it's completely dead on arrival, even if we try to charge it." Or, something like that or hey the 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 glue is is coming apart um you know there's a rattling sound in the headphones or because there's some parts you know going around uh, when we're shaking it these kinds of issues are really um it's reliability issues right uh, and and andrew's been talking a lot about that in some other yeah. episodes but reliability issues, yeah, they tend to appear, <laughs> you know, all along, of course. But after six months, nine months, usually it's not quality, you know, manufacturing issues. It's more like design issues mm. uh, that, that come up as reliability problems, right? Uh, so someone might say, wait, wait, wait a minute, that's just a corrective action plan based on some, some issues. Um, yes and no. Um, it's possible to apply a typical corrective action plan template, but it's really not that um, uh, not that great, you know, doing like an, an 8D, um, mm -hmm. 8, the number 8, uh, 8 disciplines, uh, which is a good one when there's, there's, especially when there's an escape of some kind of defect in manufacturing, uh, we like the AD again. It is very structured, but I, I I usually do not apply it for a failure analysis. It's better to have another another kind of um, of, of approach. Uh, the, I mean, the AD can work pretty well. Okay, don't get me wrong. Um, it's not really about the templates; it's about the way to to think. 
Um, mm. So, but but let let's say there's a manufacturing batch, and then somebody goes in, tests some products, there's failure. Well, there's going to have to be some kind of investigation about what happened and everything for sure. Okay, and then the AD is pretty good, or it's more simple, maybe a corrective action plan. That's fine, but that's not what we're talking about here. When when a product's been shipped out and some very serious issues, what happens is that the the customer usually will get back to the supplier and say, "Oh, what's going on here? Look at all these bad reviews on Amazon. They keep saying that it doesn't work, or um, you know this um, uh, this this steel beams. You know they are for the the structure of the building, and the welding is really bad. And some of them." We can already see some crap and stuff like that. That's really, really bad, right? So they, they got mm. back to the supplier and suppliers like, oh, you know, if there's some kind of excuse they can use, they, they will grab it and run with it. Uh, usually, or they, or they will say, well, you know, is the supplier, they did this wrong and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes they will say, well, oh, uh, okay, okay, we know what happened. Um, uh, it's probably very, very few uh, units that have this problem, but we're going to make this design change, you know, to address it. Mm. But doing a design change like that on the fly and going into production right away after that without verifying and validating it and really fully understanding all the impact of this new design is usually a big mistake because, again, yeah. you can create some other problems. So you need to do the all the retesting and so on and so forth. Right, mm. and before doing the design change, which might which might not not actually address the main causes of the issue, <laughs> you know, it's better to sit down and say, okay, let's put all of the information we have in a document, and you know, and let's look at it in a very um, very logical way, and let's see what we need to know because maybe we need to do some extra testing we need to get more samples to review we need to da, da, da. We need to go and see something um and based on that information you know what is the lo logical next step right so and this is especially true for safety related failures so if you have a product and it like 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 the the structural steel as i mentioned you know maybe the welding was not done properly it's been used in some uh, construction of a building and hey it might not actually carry its weight you know it, it might all crumble mm -hmm. well that that is a very very serious issue and if you're the company that uh distributed that uh you know what 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 are you thinking you're wondering hey okay do I have to go back to all my customers and tell them about that? Do I need to go and gather some information? Maybe I can have access to all of the units that have been installed already, inspect them to see what, you know, what's the damage, what, you know, which ones are good, which ones are bad. Should I tell them right now so they stop using that batch of products? Yeah, but what, like, they're going to be really furious. I'm going to stop their construction. It's going to be crazy, right? How do I get as much data as possible to make the right decision, right? In that case, you really want a very well-thought kind of um, analysis, right? Uh, also, sh yeah, should I do a recall? 
<laughs> what what should that, I do? That's a big one. Yeah, do mm. I actually need? Because if you are if you're in certain countries and uh, you're doing construction and you have this kind of problem, there there are building codes. There, there are standards to uh, to to comply with. Uh, you're regulated. You have to go back to maybe the um, a certain government body and tell them about it, <laughs> right? And then you're going to mm-hmm. be in trouble, yeah. But if you don't tell them, you're going to be in even more trouble when they find out. So what to do? What's your liability and so on? So mm-hmm. what's the liability is sort of a separate topic. People usually want to talk to a compliance consultant or to a lawyer, right? But yeah. what should we do? Well, that's the kind of um, decision that is usually made easier based on a a robust analysis of the failure. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's not something that you can go into sort of half cocked. It's it's mm. because because as you mentioned, the liabilities involved. Okay, we're not all producing construction materials or medical devices. And I mean a good example of this is probably last week's podcast episode with Andrew, uh, where mm. we talked about the big medical device recall by Philips. Right. You can bet your bottom dollar that Philips have gone back through and done yeah. a failure analysis like this in order oh, to gosh. actually make the decision to do what is a huge product recall uh, and to understand why. It's, it's interesting that. Oh, it's yeah. It's a must yeah. by, by law. <laughs> Under yeah. the EU medical device regulations or uh, US FDA 21 CFR code and so on and so forth, depending on the country where they sell, right? It's a must. Yeah. And there is actually yeah. a, a whole process, procedure to, to, to follow. And it's all set, you know, black and white by the regulator, you know, and how mm. to do a recall and, and so on and so forth. So mm. it's, um, they don't really have much of a choice, but definitely they did, uh, they did a thorough analysis. I mean, it cost them so much money for sure. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, this is where, you know, maybe something was missed during product mm-hmm. development and yeah. so by doing the failure analysis we're kind of like catching up and as you mentioned at the top of the show this isn't ideally you won't do this you don't want to do this and, and so hopefully you never do it but yeah. this is kind of retrospectively going through some of the uh some of the steps that you would have taken during product development right yeah there's usually some good lessons learned let's say mm. <laughs> if you okay if you launch some new models that are, let's say, in the same space, you know, maybe targeting the same kind of application and so on, well, you're gonna beef up your 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 validation process for new for the new products. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, without further ado, then, I mean, the 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 really important uh, guidance is to understand what sort of methodology we can use. Then, so there's a type of approach that we commonly use at Sophist. Mm-hmm. And it's split into seven steps. So why don't you take us through right. that? Well, first, it's not our methodology. I mean, no, no, no. Uh, we 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 get a lot of inspiration from what they call the fracas, failure reporting analysis and corrective action systems, right? Fracas, and um, uh, there's a pretty famous standard in uh, reliability engineering which was military standard 785b um and and i mean 
the second edition was 1980 you know it's and, and the first one was i think in the 40s so this is not new stuff but this is time proven stuff let's say right and then we um obviously our own templates are um we, we adapted things and we and and over time we add some questions and things like that just to make yep. sure we cover all the bases but as you say there are seven um seven steps really and the first step um <clears throat> well actually before that before even the first step sort of a step number zero is to say okay who's going to work on it um you know sort of like the ad what what, what is the team um what, what are the timelines and so on sort of understanding the context of, of the project but then um again like the ad you start with gathering all the information you can. So, you know, what kind of product is it? Uh, what kind of information do we have about the product? Do we have specs? Do we have design files and so on? Uh, what kind of, um, you know, risk analysis maybe was already done and and, and all, all the typical documentation about the product. We try to see what we have, if we can have more from the client, uh, from, from our client or from the, from the manufacturer typically, and we try to gather, you know, past test reports and so on and so forth. Okay. We also ask about the complaints because usually, uh, and, and that's, okay, if it's direction and it was a couple of engineers testing a, um, a prototype, uh, there's no such thing, but at least they, they, they can show what was the checklist and what they, what they found uh, maybe with the video and some photos and so on. Okay, that's relatively straightforward. And we know what environment it was and so on. On mass production is different. Uh, if if you've been shipping these to customers or, or they've been buying it in, in stores for some time and you've sold thousands of pieces and you're getting some complaints back, well, you're going to have a log of the complaints. You know, when, when was the complaint... Um, uh, given, you know, when was the feedback given, what is the serial number, if it's possible, and from there, you know, what batch is it, and so on and so forth. And what is the problem? What's mm. the problem of the, the product? So you really need to have a log of that. And, um, and, and, and usually, yeah, client can put that together easily and send that to us. And, yeah, does it look like it's a hardware failure or a software failure? What, what is it, right? Um, and then we review samples. I mean, can do these kind of things uh, <laughs> just by looking at photos, right? It's important to look at look at some samples, open them up, review, do a bit of uh, basic testing to understand on our side. Um, and usually the manufacturer will have some kind of explanation. So it's good to document that and say, well, uh, <laughs> you know, does it kind of, seem to make sense or not but we should not be influenced by that so it's better to, to keep that aside and get the the engineer who's working on that to to just just look at the samples look at the description of the problems and just uh, follow the steps logically later he can review what the, ma the manufacturer says and he can comment on that but you should not be influenced not so good and and once you've done your review, you really try to uh, to describe it in detail, and you, you usually you need to ask 
more questions to maybe the, the, the customers, the end users, the consumers, you know, the people who um, who saw it failing and reporting the problem. Like what, what happened? Like, were you having your shower? Were you, you know, uh, was it cold shower, hot shower? You know, these this kind of uh, dumb questions, they can really help. It can really help. And where where is it? Like, where were you? What city? Uh, oh, okay. It's all in the mountains. Okay, maybe there's a pattern here. Or maybe it's all... In um, in Alaska, or <laughs> or it's all in uh, in the southeast, very very dry and hot in the summer, right? So mm-hmm. you might see some some patterns, and uh, and then you go into the analysis, right? So that's number three. So the first one was just to collect basic information and review the samples. B was just to just to describe based on that and maybe gather more information. And number three. Three and four are, are about the analysis. So, you know, you, you you might start. In many cases, you look at samples. You don't want to uh, to do destruct, destructive tests right away. You, you, maybe you you go step by step very often. First, what is the kind of things that we see, like visually or with very simple non-destructive testing? Can we already get to some kind of conclusion or at least indication of what happened? And then, in a second step, it's maybe going deeper in the analysis. And maybe you have to do destructive testing and so on, right? And you really want to get to the point where you can describe what they call the physics of failure. This happened because of this, because of this, you know, sort of in a chain, right? So if it's just a product that doesn't work, like, for example, tablets that are shipped out and and then some users, maybe 10% of the users say that the battery is at zero and they cannot even charge it. Okay, so what happened here? You know, the BMS, the battery management system, did not automatically turn it off completely when it got down to 3%. And when it went out of the factory, some of the units were uh, not half charged, but they were maybe 10 or 20% charged only. Okay, these Mm. two things combined, plus the fact that some of them stayed in the warehouse for that long time, uh, means that they get to zero. And we get to zero after a certain time well this kind of battery might not work at all it might be dead right so you, you mm-hmm. really break it down like this and when it's a safety issue which in many cases it is because when it gets to um, uh, potential uh, unsafe situations that that's when people really <laughs> get in touch with people like us to, to really they go cert- in depth right they certainly do yeah, they, they are quite uh, motivated to, to know the truth and to get some documentation about a proper analysis and, and get some data. So it, it's more like, uh, okay, what happened and in what situation and so on? And then it led to what issue? You know, when does it become a failure? When does it become or might it become a hazardous situation? And when might it become harm, you know, or really... Yeah, like a, a safety hazard, right? Mm. That actually comes true. So if we go back to the example of the pole welding in structural steel elements, well, you know, uh, there's poor, um, maybe poor welding methods and, and poor inspection of the welding, maybe by non-certified inspectors who are not certified to the exact um, standard for the building code of the country, okay? Mm. So these together with, well, it's, it's, it's been assembled and, and, and so on, and there's that much uh, 
pressure, you know, it's it's compressed by that much weight that it's supporting. And so there's that much stress on that joint. And, you know, and, and, and it starts to crack. And then, you know, you can only imagine the next steps, but you need to describe it, you know. And then the next step is that it starts to deform. And then at one point it might break suddenly. And when it breaks suddenly, then maybe the roof is no longer supported or like the the the, the above um, level or whatever, and it falls down and people can can, can be uh, crushed by the by the weight of the structure. You know, you, you want to really break it down and describe it from A to Z until possible harm, uh, you know, and, and, and not be optimistic, be realistic, right? You, you mm. should even be a bit pessimistic here because you're trying to imagine, you know, okay, how can it go really wrong? Uh, and then you, 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 you try to estimate and you try to do further analysis, right? So sometimes you have some, um, you, you need to do some more tests. So, for example, there, there, there's a lot of talk about uh, e-bike batteries that might, ca- might catch fire, right? And some people's homes get on fire. And same thing for the hoverboard a few years ago. I mean, that was just terrible. Because so, yeah. many, so many Shenzhen factories jumped on that and, and, and didn't really care about how, how they were doing it. So uh, you, then you need to confirm, okay, when I charge this product, if this happens then can the whole product get on fire, right? So you have basically two ways of thinking of that. One way is to say, well, let's test it and let's um, <laughs> let's reproduce what might go wrong and let's see what actually happens with extra, you know, with higher voltage and, 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 and high heat and, and whatever, you know, in the worst conditions, let's make it happen. Mm. Let's see. How bad it gets, and then if it gets bad, uh, you can observe and you really document it. If nothing bad happens, well, that's kind of bad. That, that's good news for for the company that was distributing it. It doesn't mean there's no risk, but at least you know it, it indicates that either the analysis is wrong or um, about you know the way it would get to an unsafe situation, or more testing is needed, right? And then. Yeah. The other way is that uh, th- th- there are more and more very helpful safety standards, IEC standards and so on, uh, that would actually be helpful. Now, you really need specialists for that. But for, for example, the IEC 62368 is great, for, for example, for knowing what kind of materials tend to be flammable more or less flammable like and they have they have different uh ps1 ps2 ps3 you know different degrees different levels of um, let's say likelihood that a material would would go on fire and then you collect the information from the suppliers of these components hopefully of the main components of the product i mean hopefully they they uh, they give you the information hopefully they also give you um some test reports on that uh, that that's even that's even better. Maybe the, the, their components are certified. That's even better, right? If not, you might have to do to get some of their components and actually test it to see uh, how flammable it is. And then based on that, you can you can draw a conclusion, right? This this is an example 
but it's not that unusual. It's not that unusual. Okay, so just to recap, and that's that's the big chunk of the analysis, right? Uh, get the get the basic information, describe it uh, with a quick look, then go into first analysis, then go into deeper analysis, and really you know try to find in documentation anything that could help you, and then. Well, what to do actually, right? That's next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, you know, to, how to contain the problem. What do we need to know right away? So it might include some testing of the past batch products um, to confirm certain things. It, it, it might um, might include obviously, uh, you know, stopping the, sa- stopping the sale of the product. Uh, it might include maybe uh, telling the customers of a certain batch to put the products aside and not use them until further information is known, but you know it might be unsafe, right? So that that's already um, a big jump. But if there's a real safety issue, uh, that that's really uh, something you you don't want to skip. Mm. Um, and and sometimes the data are so bad, it's like yeah, I mean recall, right? Extremely expensive, uh, but. Some cases it's better to recall now than, um, you know, having people die and a bunch of lawyers suing you. Yeah, because that's even more expensive. Then the last two, that's the corrective action plan, right? So, what what is the plan? What are the countermeasures? Which ones are higher priority? And who who's going to have to do what basically? And um, sort of also thinking how can we actually confirm you know let, let's say we we do that how do we how do we validate it that it had a good effect or not right so we're planning for the way to double confirm and and say yes this was this countermeasure has been put in place and it is carrying the desired effect right so planning ahead this is really the plan and then the last one is to actually do it and follow up over time, right? Uh, what what is actually done and uh, was was uh, effectiveness um, verified or validated, and um, what did not work, and so on. And 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 if you learn some new stuff there, you might go back to the earlier steps and rethink some of the assumptions that, that, that you know or the, some of the wrong data maybe that you were using right or missing data so yeah that's it a lot of people come to us for the analysis and a bit of testing to understand they sometimes trust their supplier the the manufacturer to uh, to actually implement the right corrective actions but Mm. um, you know that that's fine as long as the 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 manufacturer's actions (laughs) make sense which is not always the case but if it makes sense and they seem to to know what they're doing, yeah, why not? And then, uh, but but it's important. The one thing I would stress is it's important to close the loop. It's important to confirm it's in place. It's important to validate it. Very often, maybe there's a new design or a new component or something. Well, you have to redo some testing, right? Mm-hmm. Because maybe it's introducing new problems. <laughs> so um, yeah, and and keep collecting data. Keep having your log of complaints and that's really useful basically so uh, yeah that that was the failure analysis <laughs> mm. yeah well let, let's hope let's hope we never need to use it 
but you've gone through the approach there for future if you are unfortunately in a situation where you do have these problems coming in and you need to find out what's happened and what should we do so yeah really solid approach there thanks Renault. we do have the service on our website for this so you've mentioned people come to us and Mm -hmm. uh, ask us for help so i'll leave the link to that in the show notes so yeah if you are suffering from an issue and you need help from engineers to uh, sort it out take a look perhaps we could help you and i referred to last week's episode with andrew where we spoke about product recalls caused Mm. by issues in dvt part of the mpi process that's quite related to what you've been talking about today renault so i'll I'll leave the uh, link to that as well yes quite related all right thanks adrian and uh well then you'll hear from us at least um, some of us in the team uh, next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.